Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This episode is brought to you by Hindman Services. Is your to-do or honey-do list too long to tackle? Are your DIY skills likely to fail you? Do you wish you had a handy friend who would do exactly what they say without breaking the bank? Hyman Services is family-owned and operated business whose work ethic and customer service will restore your confidence in handymen. Our customer reviews speak volumes. Check Hyman Services out on Facebook and call us for all your interior or exterior projects around your home or business. We do repairs, installations, remodels, landscaping, decks, patios, fencing, and much more. Call Hyman Services today at 479-347-9336 and tackle your to-do list without getting your hands dirty. Razorback fans, welcome into episode number 86 of the Hog Talk Podcast. My name is Kyle Sutherland, alongside Porter Hayes. We are happy to be joined by Sporting Culture's Tyler Butler. He is out of South Carolina, and him and Porter work together uh, doing their sports content through the Sports and Culture Media Company. And Porter, I'll go ahead and hand over the reins to you and let you uh, introduce Tyler and then discuss kind of a little bit what you guys do. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, this this guy, man, I, I can't say enough good things about him. Uh, give me my start in the business, um, and actually, thanks to Coach Neighbors and the women's basketball team, and their run year before last in, in Greenville, and Tyler reached out to me and wanted to kind of get some insight on the Razorbacks, and we fed each other info, and then started writing for him, and, and I, I just... We've become like a family, so I mean, happy to have you on. Appreciate you sharing some time with us, Tyler. Uh, thank you guys for inviting me, man. I, I'm a fan of this podcast, and of course, you know, Porter, I love everything that you're doing and how much you've accomplished within a year, so it's a pleasure being on. We'll start off by talking about the NFL draft, which of course concluded on Saturday. Tyler, you uh, being an insider now for the Dallas Cowboys, very involved with that. Those that don't follow the sports culture page, a lot of great content on there. Stuff that sometimes don't hear about uh, from the the so-called big dogs. Uh, They put that out before. Uh, That's happened many times. I've been following Tyler for close to a year now, and I've seen that happen multiple times. And me being, of course, a Cowboys fan, uh, it was nice to, to have that information that I was able to get from him. But uh, what, what would you think? I'll go ahead and ask you. I know that some people listening probably don't really care about the Cowboys. But what did you think overall about the draft? I thought they killed it. Yeah, I thought this was probably the best draft they'd had in at least 30 years. Um, for the first time in a while, they've addressed every single need that they were missing um, outside of safety, which never know what's going to happen after training camp or uh, restricted free agents become available. But I thought this was definitely a excellent draft. Who would ever thought the CD Lamb was just falling out lap like that? Yeah, yeah, that was my thinking too. And I remember, you know, you posted it, the conversation that we had had about uh, about who they were going to pick. If they were going to go linebacker or safety, and that's exactly what you said. If they have the if they have somebody sitting there like a big time playmaker like a CD Lamb, that's who. I mean, especially with a guy that could have gone top ten. 
uh, yeah, that was just something that they could not say no to. And there were two Razorbacks that were picked up. Of course, McTelvin Aguim, uh, a.k.a. Sosa, went in the third round, 95th overall to the Denver Broncos, a little bit earlier than he was expected to go. And, of course, Cam Curl at the end of the sixth round, or I guess at the beginning of the seventh, uh, I believe it was the second pick of the seventh round, at 216 overall to the Washington Redskins. Uh, Porter, I'll go ahead and ask you real quick. Now, as this is being recorded, C.J. O'Grady, arguably maybe in terms of talent, the best tight end in the draft. It wasn't a very strong class. Uh, I know that there was uh, the guy from Dayton, and uh, I can't remember their names, the, the one from Dayton and the one from Notre Dame. Those were two of the top ones that I saw on a lot of people's boards. But in terms of overall talent and able to go up and get the ball, C.J. O'Grady might be the most talented one that was in the draft, and he still has not been picked up. How much money did he cost himself with just being a bonehead throughout college? That just goes to show you that, you know, you can have all the talent in the world, but when you get to professional football, I mean, you got to have that mentality. That's why they interview. You know, you've you got to look at it from a business side. You know, when you go into a business and you're wanting to invest millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars even into your company, you want to make sure they're right. And they go through a, you know, not just a, you know, everybody hears about the, the forties and the shuttles and the hand size, but you know, they do interviews to get into their mind to see what type of person they are. I mean, and now with social media, they're looking at their social media, they're going to bars, they're going to see these towns like Fayetteville. Where do these guys hang out? What are they doing in their free time? So, I mean, I think he was one of them players that really thought his talent outweighed his maturity and he thought he could just leave Arkansas and, and get the sympathy card with and take advantage of the, I guess, the state of the Arkansas football program and everything, all the turmoil that was going on and thinking, well, I'm just going to use this as a scapegoat to say I'm leaving. I'm going to prepare myself for the draft and you're going to see a brand new Cheyenne O'Grady. And I think it really in it in the end cost him millions of dollars. Yeah, that was my thing about this whole ordeal. When I think about what he went through from the time that he had gotten to Fayetteville. Now, he, he of course, went to high school there. And then, what, two or three days after he had gotten on campus, got an MIP. Look, man, it could have happened to any of I think just about everybody drinks in college. I know that there was plenty of chances, plenty of opportunities for me to get one. Thank God I never did. But, you know, I underage drink in college. Many people do it. So that's just one of those things. He was an 18-year-old kid. He made, a, he made a bad mistake. But I think the thing that really just got to coaches and general managers is that he just, that, as you kind of touched on, he just has a massive problem, it seems, with authority. He doesn't understand that his superiors call the shots, whether it be a coach, whether it be a, a boss and a job. And like you said, they do those interviews. They do all the background checks. I remember when Joe Adams got drafted in 2012, as I've told you guys, he was a teammate of mine. We graduated high school together. I know that they con like there were scouts that contacted his elementary coaches. They contacted our entire high school staff. He had previously played at Parkview up until our junior year. I'm sure they probably contacted that coaching staff. So they don't just call your high school high school head coach and talk to your college head coaches. They go all the way back to essentially when you were born and talk to different people that you've dealt with your entire life. So it wouldn't shock me if maybe some of these scouts called maybe family members or previous teachers and they could have said, and I'm just speculating here, but they could have said something along the lines of, look, this guy just is not worth the headache. 
he's ultra talented, but is he really worth that headache of now? I don't see what a team would lose by inviting him to training camp. I mean, you pick him up as an undrafted free agent and some, some regards, as you saw with Scooter Harris, it was better for him to be signed as an undrafted free agent than it was for him to even get drafted. What was it? He got like 25 or as 150,000 guaranteed with a $25,000 signing bonus. So that maybe that would be something that would wake Cheyenne up. I know he wants to go by Cheyenne and he gets an opportunity, makes the most of his final because this, this will be his last chance. If he gets another one, it will be like a last chance you type situation where this will be his final opportunity. If, If he gets a chance to sign with the team, and let's say he goes and he does great things and he messes up once, I'm sure they'll cut the cord right then. But I, I am shocked that he has. Of course, there was a lot of guys that got picked up yesterday. I'm kind of shocked that Connor Limpert uh, hasn't gotten – the kicker hasn't gotten a chance either. I know T.J. Smith, uh, who was Colton Jackson. Um, there was like three or four other ones. Devwall Whaley went to the Bengals. So there were some other Razorbacks. Austin that didn't Caps get got picked up as well, didn't he? Yes, Austin yeah. Caps. Caps, Caps went to the Falcons. T.J. Smith went to the Chargers. And uh, so there Chase was – Chase Harrell, the, the tight end, also. Uh, Chase, Chase Harrell, Harrell yeah, I think he went to the 49ers. Yeah, so, so – but... So, Tyler, I want to kind of bring your opinion in. Um, you know, since you've been an insider with the Cowboys and stuff and what we're talking about with, you know, Cheyenne O'Grady, you know, I think this day and age in college football with, with scouts and, you know, NFL, you know, anybody now that 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", can run a 4'6", 4'7", 40. So what now separates how it used to be where if somebody had the size and strength of that, that they would just take a risk on them compared to now where anybody kind of fits that mold these days when it comes to a NFL tight end. Yeah, I think um, especially now they're looking for more of the mold of the tight end for San Francisco. Um, a lot of these tight ends are naturally athletes. They can get downfield. That's that's the number one thing they're looking for. Can we flex you out to the wide right, run you as a receiver type tight end? But can you also block? Because the running game is still important in, to the NFL, um, despite a lot of these running backs not getting the contracts that they they still want a good tight end that's going to have the ability to block. So can you multitask instead of just having the capability to get up and downfield? That's kind of what I was thinking about CJ as well, because I know that he, so Chase Harrell that, that I just mentioned, uh, they got picked up by the 49ers. He, the poor guy just has stone hands. He's not that great at catching, but he can block really well. He was a big part of why Rakeem Boyd was one of the few bright spots for the team this year. That's kind of where maybe that's another thing that a lot of coaches are looking at. Yes, CJ can catch the ball. They can go up and get it with the best of them with better than some receivers. But I know that blocking has been something that has not really been one of his strong points. So is that something that coaches, I mean, yeah, obviously the tight end position has changed a lot, especially over the years, but are they still looking pretty heavily at guys that can block in, in most cases? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you think about it, look at the new age quarterbacks uh, like a Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes. Uh, quarterbacks with the ability to uh, extend a play, run around in the pocket. So you need that almost extra offensive lineman there to pick up a block. So if you have a tight end and their only asset is running down the field and catching passes, but they can't pick up a blitz coming up through the middle, that's going to be a liability on the team. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that's what they have with, with George Kittle is uh, just with singling out San Francisco is, 
I mean, the guy can, he, he can catch, he can run over people, he can block. And that was something that I feel like maybe another one of my former teammates, DJ Williams, that won the John Mackey Award at Arkansas, had a great career there, really amazing story uh, coming into that he, he told uh, quite a bit and I think was actually featured on ESPN about it. Um, but in our high school offense, he, he was basically another receiver. Under Petrino, he didn't have to block a whole lot. Now, I know in his first year under Houston Nutt, he probably had to block a little bit more. But I feel like that that might have been something that held him back. He got drafted in the fifth round by the Packers and bounced around to a couple of different teams. But I feel like that that's maybe something that held him back a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, overall, um, I thought it was I – th I thought that it was really exciting, mainly just because it's the closest thing that we've really had to sports in, what, a month and a half now. Uh, so – but one of the main reasons that uh, we had had Tyler on is uh, now you are a lifelong Bulls fan, right? Absolutely. Always have been. And, and you uh, know a lot about them. Of course, I've watched a lot of your podcast that you did last week um, on the Enough with the BS. That's, uh, that's Tyler's podcast that he does. And they just discussed it. I guess that was right before the first two episodes. Of course, we're two episodes in and uh, three and four will be airing tonight. But what, what did you think about the first two? Was it everything that you expected or? Yeah, it was great. Um, I was, uh, I think the best thing that came away from part one and two was, of course, Scottie Pippen's contract. And it made me do a little digging because I remember Jordan signing a very similar type contract. And uh, that's when I discovered he had signed that, I think it was an eight-year, $25 million, And Pippen had signed a six-year, $18 million. Uh, but what people was looking at when they, you know, dug into it, Scottie Pippen that one year in 98 was only making $50 and Jordan was making 30 And Jordan referenced that Scottie Pippen was being selfish uh, by holding up on getting surgery so he could get a bigger contract. So you had a lot of people on social media attacking Michael Jordan because he was making $30 million that year compared to Scottie's three, but not knowing Jordan just finished up a very similar contract. I want to touch on that con because I think that I might have a different way of looking at it than a lot of people because I want to start off before I say anything that I get the whole deal about you want to take care of yourself and you have to look out for you and your support system. But I think what really rubbed me the wrong way, I, I remember as a kid when Scotty had sat out the beginning of the 97-98 of the season, but he talked about how he understood, of course, Jerry Reinsdorf told him not to sign the contract. He just like he had told Michael Jordan not to sign the one, which I assume is the one you were just talking about. Mm -hmm. And so he signs it because, of course, you know, he came from Hamburg, Arkansas, has a massive family, didn't have a whole lot growing up. Of course, you got to do what I, just like he said, you got to do what you got to do to take care of the people in your corner. So he, he signs the contract and is just disgustingly underpaid for all that time. What was it like the uh, the hundred and twenty? I think he was ranked one hundred and twenty second. And yeah, that's it. Sixth on the team. And so, yeah, he was grossly underpaid, should have been negotiated at some point. Of course, Jerry Reinsdorf didn't like to do negotiations once they signed the contracts. But I think the biggest problem that I had with it was he says, well, you know, I don't want to mess up my summer. And the fact that he did that after he had literally talked about how at that point he was just really trying to take care of himself, take care of the people in his corner. But then you don't, you're not able to start the beginning of the season, which they struggled quite a bit. Well, especially in that game against the Clippers where Michael Jordan had to score all those points to even get past the worst team in the league. Yeah. That's the biggest issue that I had with it 
was that he didn't just affect like his teammates. He, it, there was not a, all these people that are paying all this money to come watch the great or maybe the greatest dynasty in the history of sports, or at least up there. He's not just affecting his teammates. He's affecting the paying fans that pay their money for the tickets and devote their time. So I think that was the biggest issue that I had with it, especially just because he had said early on in the episode, yes, I knew that I probably shouldn't have done it, but I had to take what I had to take at that time. And then basically at the end, he was talking about how well, or well, in the middle, he was talking about how he essentially waited then as a kind of a slap in the face. So I see both sides of the scenario. I understand where he was coming from because I, everybody, as I mentioned, knows that he should have been paid more. But I just, I kind of do see, and I see what you were saying about MJ as well, but I kind of do see the selfishness side on it too, in a way. And maybe I'm just, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Um, but I don't know. I, I just think that, I think that he's getting too hard of a pass on that. Yeah, I think, um, which is, is exactly what Jordan was alluding to because Jordan is notorious for saying that he played every single game like the fans. This was their first game actually seeing Michael Jordan. So that's why he gave 110% every single game he played. Um, and he looked at Scottie Pippen and holding out. And, you know, also in that documentary, Scottie Pippen demanded a trade that year also. Um, so he was literally trying to hold out. Uh, get a different contract if he didn't get it, get traded. So Jordan did look at that as in, hey, this is our last year. We have a, a big goal in mind, uh, but you're selfishly thinking about yourself. So that's why he stated that uh, he thought the Scotty people was being a little selfish. Yeah, and I think with Jordan, I mean, that was his mentality on and off the court. I mean, he, he – I remember him saying a long time ago, like if he was in Italy – he wanted to make sure he was in a three-piece suit because if somebody seen him that one time that they got to see him, he wanted to look the part of the best player in the world. And I think that where his selfishness come in was the fact that, hey, look, I'm going to take care of you. You get what you can get and, and, and don't be selfish because I'm going to take care of the rest. And he thought that with him being the best player on the planet that – he was going to take care of the rest of the team because of what he had. And he just had that mentality of wanting to be the best at everything he did, not just on the basketball court, but he wanted to be the best at every single aspect of his life. Yeah. yeah and you talked about the, well, because that's what I was going to bring up about the game. What was it in 90 or 87? Uh, was that the season that uh, they they won like 30 games and he had uh, broke his foot, and they were regulating him to 14 minutes per game, and he wasn't able to go in a second past that. And essentially, they were, I guess, really trying to tank for a better pick. But that's not like that. That just goes back to the competitive nature that he has. Is there's it doesn't matter what position we're in. We have a chance to make the playoffs. That's the way that I'm going to do it. Like he just didn't. That's why he's the greatest of all time because he did not. He did not settle for anything less than 110 percent. Yeah, that was, that was Jordan for you, man. I, and that's that one season. It just bought – I mean, I was, of course, small at the time back in 86. So I was born in 84. So I don't remember any of the broken foot seasons. But just going back, looking at that, and just watching some of the veterans like Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, I understand that he was the greatest in the league. And that was like his rookie or, or second year. I already passed the league over to him. That just solidifies the greatness of Michael Jordan. I had never even known about, because 
I was born in 90, so I don't even remember the first three championships. I definitely remember the, the last three. But I had never even heard about that series against the Celtics when he put up, what was it, like 42 and 60 or something, 63. Yeah. Uh, it was just, he's got, he's got Danny Ainge out there on the golf course and said, hey, tell your boy DJ I've got something for you tomorrow. I mean, it's just just that killer mentality, man, that like, just that you, that a lot of athletes you see have that it factor, but I think there's a difference between the it factor and that killer mentality. And that's the thing with, with and maybe, I don't know if it's from him, you know, get, not making the varsity team, if it goes back all back to that time, that really just drove him, or he's just always been that type of guy that just will, as I mentioned, will not settle for less than 110%. But I just don't know that we've really ever seen an athlete with it. I, I would say maybe Lance Armstrong was up there at one point before we figured out about the PED situation. I thought that he had that killer mentality as well. But I don't know that we've ever seen an athlete in the history of sports the way that MJ was. Um, the closest I, I've ever seen is Kobe. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. Yeah, and I think Giannis is trying to do that now with the mentality of it. He He's come out and stated, you know, I don't want to be your friend. I don't want to be buddies. And I think that's what is lost in today's sports when it comes to pro sports is a lot of these guys are friends and they're hanging out, wanting to join up. And, I mean, to me, when I see, like, what Dominique Wilkins said, when he come in their locker room, and said it's going to be a long night. I mean, he's not doing it to scrubs. He's not doing it just to the guy who's guarding him. I mean, it would be like LeBron going into Giannis's locker room or Kevin Durant's locker room and saying, hey, man, it's going to be a long night. That's what gets me with that mentality is I'm going to put it on you, who, no matter who is guarding me or whoever the best player is on the team, I'm going to put 40 on you. I'm going to put 50 on you. You know, Isaiah Thomas even said, look, our goal was to keep him under 40, and we couldn't do it. You know, I mean, I know LeBron is, is great, but I, when, when it comes to the greatest, and I've said this a couple of times on, on social media, when Jordan was in his prime, there was no discussion of who's the greatest player in the league. It's happened three times since LeBron's been in his prime. They said it about KD. They said it about Giannis. And now they've, say, they've said it about uh, – Steph Curry as well you know I mean it seems like now with with the world we live in it's who's doing great now but back when Jordan was playing there was no discussion there were, I mean even Magic Johnson you know you talk about the video when they were at the Barcelona Olympics and and they had that pickup game and Magic Johnson's like oh there's a new sheriff in town for him to admit that Jordan is the greatest tells you a lot because nobody in this league now is saying that there is a greatest in the league. So how can you be the greatest of all time when there's discussion of you're not even the greatest person in the league when you're in your prime? Well, and the, they said it on the – I think it was Joe Dumar, uh, Joe Dumars on the Bad Boys 30 for 30 that he even came out and said, look, you know, Jordan's the greatest of all time. And, but the first three years when they played them in the playoffs, they were double and – I mean – they got Bill Lambeer to essentially kill the guy. And Jordan even said that he wouldn't have been what he was had they not challenged him the way that they did. They were literally triple teaming him and still sweeping series or winning them four to one. I mean, it was, yeah, there, there was just no debate whatsoever. And I am one of the people that is totally on board with don't worry about the debates. Let's just enjoy both of their greatness, like both of them and, and, be thankful that we've got a player like LeBron to watch just because of how great he really is. 
but man, I, I, yeah, there's just, it's really not even close. And I think a lot of it is that some of these, the kids today, I say the kids today, I mean, I'm, I still feel like I'm fairly young, but most of them had never, don't remember Jordan at all. So they've grown up with LeBron since 2003. And so they just say that because they've never seen it. It's kind of like, I'm, I'm real quick to say that either Tom Brady or Joe Montana are probably the two, and Peyton Manning, the three greatest quarterbacks of all time. But then you talk to people that are a little bit older, like my, my grandpa used to say that Johnny Unitas was the greatest. So it's just, it, it depends on, eras are a big thing too. Um, but but I, I don't know, man. I, I'm, I'm just really excited that we've still got eight episodes of this left. Uh, I think it's just going to continue to get even better and better. One thing I wanted to talk about, Tyler, actually, let me, uh, before we get to this next part, uh, we'll let you guys know that the Hog Talk podcast is brought to you by Max's Garage, located at 1010 South Rock Street in Sheridan, Arkansas. Since 1984, Max's has been your one-stop shop for all your repair needs, including tune-ups, oil changes, transmission repairs, and even body work. Stop by or give them a call today at 870-942-4612. That's 870-942-4612. And Tyler, at the beginning of your podcast last week, you had mentioned something about the uh, the little love triangle between MJ, Den- or MJ, Scotty, and Madonna. Elaborate a little bit on that, because didn't didn't she date Dennis Rodman too? So I mean, was she just taking on the whole Bulls team? Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I'm not quite sure about Rodman, but I wouldn't be surprised at all. <laughs> I'm not surprised with anything with Dennis Rodman. But yeah, so I, I don't know if they're gonna go over this in the documentary. I highly doubt Jordan to it, but the rumor is that Madonna um, and Scottie Pippen had a little bit of a relationship on the side. And like I said on the podcast, uh, the the big rumor around the league was that Scottie Pippen has a big Scottie Pippen. <laughs> uh, Michael Jordan was a little bit envious of, of their relationship and couldn't figure out why she would not talk to him, uh, but instead of talking to Pippen, and that was the reason why she told him, you know, he has a big Scotty Pippen. And so that was just a big locker room joke going around. But that's the rumor, man, that, that Pippen is apparently the man. Yeah, I never even knew anything <laughs> about that. Yeah, I guess I, I, I looked – after you had said that, I looked some stuff up uh, just to just see about it. And that was, just, that was another way that MJ was so competitive. It was – he got so upset about it and he – he was even – it even reached to the – and I think – I'm pretty sure both of them were married at the time, but I guess that's beside the point. But yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, it's pretty clear that it that his competitive nature does not stop on the basketball court. But that that's pretty insane. But I, I would imagine – I don't know if they'll touch on that, but I, I figured they're probably going to touch a lot on some behind-the-scenes stuff, which I had mentioned when Porter and I were doing this last week about uh, the whole getting uh, – Steve Kerr getting punched by Michael. I, I'm wondering if there's any video, actually video coverage of that. That would be great. Um, yeah, if I had video of that, I, I would definitely pay to see that. I don't think Kerr is going to let that ever surface, but he's been, you know, he's just told the story plenty of time about Mike clocking him in the face. Uh, the, the funniest part of it all was Steve Kerr said when he went home, Jordan had left him a message on his uh, voice machine basically apologizing, saying he was having a bad day and just took all his anger out on Kerr. And when Kerr came into practice the next day, Jordan kind of dapped him up, and they were friends ever since. So, you know, I've heard on, you know, because Dan Lambert's show has been having the, I guess he's the director and, and the producer of this 
series on his uh, show, and he said that, you know, basically Jordan had a team of people who would approve and, you know, Jordan had the opportunity to approve and disapprove of everything that was on this documentary. And I think there's like over 500 hours. And he said that Jordan didn't once tell him that he didn't want this on the show. And, you know, he, he approved basically everything that is on this documentary. So tonight, you know, I guess they're leading into tonight's two part series of, of the 10 part series is the, the Pistons. So, we, t we alluded earlier in the podcast about how the Pistons was just out to kill him and murder him. And I think tonight people's really going to get a glimpse of like the fouling and when Jordan would drive through the lane and would get hit by two to three people. I mean, could you imagine that being done now? You know, because we see how defense is played and it's almost laughable when somebody gets defensive player of the year now compared to – used to i mean could you imagine lebron how he flops and harden how he flopped how they would deal with driving through the lane and getting met by two to three people who are not six four six five they're seven foot headhunters i mean how would they deal with today's you know their today's game how would that deal with how it used to be in the past i can't picture not one player in the nba today that would have lasted back then in the 80s and early 90s no one. Absolutely not. And yeah, hands down, the most physical athlete in the NBA right now is LeBron. But like you said, uh, Peck, LeBron flops around like a goldfish every single game. He's whining. That's all you pretty much see out of all the, the athletes, especially the bigs. The bigs are the worst. Joel Embiid should be the dominant player in the NBA with his size and skill set. But he's one of the softest players in the NBA. That's just today's NBA athlete. I mean, if they would get clothesline like Bill and Bill used to hit Jordan with, and the rest of them, even Rodman. Um, I know they're going to talk about this tonight, but before the Bulls signed Dennis Rodman, it was a requirement that Rodman had to apologize to Scottie Pippen. And if he didn't apologize, they weren't going to sign him. So I can't wait to hear that story. Interesting get more into yeah. that well because you know bill lambeard he's he's been a pretty successful WNBA head coach but from what i've read and heard it's apparently the reason why he never coached in the nba is because he burned so many bridges as a player what wasn't isaiah thomas he was like the gm of the knicks once upon a time and there was rumor that he might might get him on board but then there was other people within the organization that wanted nothing to do with him because he just made so many people mad as a player. Just that, how he was just out there is almost like he had a bounty on people or something. Yeah, Lambeer is like the Bill Romanowski of the NBA. Yeah. Uh, Romanowski is not going to have any type of uh, future endeavors with the NFL Players Association or anything just because of all the bridges he burnt during his playing days. Lambeer was the same exact way, if not worse. Yeah, and I also noticed, you know, because in the first episode of the documentary, you know, you're talking about how the, the Chicago Bulls, before they signed Jordan, that the indoor soccer league was drawing more fans than the Bulls. And it really got me thinking that, you know, the headhunters like Robert Parrish and Bill Ambeer and Horace Grant, you know, all these guys, I mean, you've even seen the videos of Hakeem Olajuwon just blasting Ron Cycle, you know, just throwing that right hook. I mean, to me, was that part of bringing more excitement and bringing more attention and 
fans to the stands. I mean, was that their ploy to bring that attitude, almost like a hockey sense of play into the NBA back, back in the eighties and early nineties? No, I mean, honestly, I think that was just the guys who were in the league. That was just their mentality. Um, I hate to keep going back to the documentary, but Jordan was saying when he was drafted, basically he was on a team with a bunch of crackheads. Like everybody was doing coke and all kinds of other drugs. And usually, typically, when you're on those type of drugs, you are more physical than anyone else. You resort to violence. So that just led out on the NBA court, unfortunately. Yeah, that was uh, really crazy with the, the what they were talking about with Jerry Reinsdorf about, which we all we all knew going back to his competitive nature and all that, that he was going to play basically as long as he was able to walk. But that was a really good comparison about the whole the pill thing. He's like, well, you know, if I've got a ten percent chance to have, for it to be life altering or career ending, but a ninety percent chance to be okay, then why in the world would I not stick it out and do it? And then, of course, you know, Jerry made the comparison about the uh, the pills and saying, well, if nine of them would heal you and one of them would kill you, would you still take it? Well, how bad's the freaking headache? Of course, he didn't say freaking. But then, like, it's it's just so – But like, I think that has to – I think that shows the work ethic of our generation. Like me, yeah, as yeah. a husband and a father, if, if I had to provide for my wife and family and they're telling me, well, you can work, well, nine of these pills are going to heal you, and this other pill can kill you. Well, you know what? It's going to depend on how big the headache is, whether I'm going to take the pills or not. I mean, that's the thing. That just shows you the work ethic of Jordan and the competitiveness of him. He wants to play. He had that winner's mentality. I mean, I just – I laugh at the thought of them trying to do load management on, on the players back then who – who really wanted to play and say, well, we're going to play a doubleheader out east and you're going to sit this whole game out, but we're in the middle of a playoff race. It would be laughable. Well, if you guys really think about it, um, to me the difference between today's NBA and yesterday's NBA was the parentings. Um, the players' parents were blue-collar, hard-nosed workers, worked in factories, wouldn't be afraid of getting their hands dirty. There was no programs babying all of these players and everybody wasn't buddy-buddy. But still, it comes from the household. Um, just like Jordan said, his dad was extremely And when he got cut from his high school team, he went home upset, visibly upset to his mom. Today's mom will be upset and call the coach and see why their son got cut, you know, try to get someone fired. Michael Jordan's mom basically told him to suck it up Work out this summer and try again next year. It's the exactly. Household. Yeah, I really liked what um, I really liked what I think it was Colin Coward said about how you know people get offended. Now I'm not saying that there are things on Twitter that uh, you should not have pressed sent, uh, tweet on, but he mentioned about how people get their feelings hurt over words or whatever and or whatever the case. Kind of some things that you just mentioned. All the while, Scottie Pippen grew up basically dirt poor taking care of his father that was that, that had a stroke and was paralyzed and also his brother that was paralyzed. Mm -hmm. Some people have an easier road to get there, but at the end of the day, there are so many things that are possible. And, that, and I think that we see that a lot with, and this is a whole another discussion for an, an entire podcast, but the whole transfer situation deal. 
I think Jalen Hurts is just should be the poster child for how to handle adversity. He stuck it out. He's been it now. Now there are some scenarios where it just doesn't work out and the kid needs to go elsewhere, whether it be because they don't get along with the coach and they just can't see eye to eye, whatever. I mean, I, everybody's different, but the way that Jalen hurts handled that situation at Alabama was as professional as you can be. He gave it a shot. He stuck it out despite everybody all see. I mean, he got to the point where Nick Saban goes off on Maria Taylor because he got so tired of hearing the question about those two, about him and Tua. And he sticks it out. He says, you know what? Tua is clearly the guy here. So I'm going to, transfer out and I'm going to go be the guy somewhere else and got drafted the second round the other night um I mean I think that that is exactly how it's what is it is it JT Daniels uh that's at USC basically that coaching staff told him well you can go and you can search and do all this stuff but we'll be right here waiting for if you want to come back I mean I I, he just it it doesn't seem like that he wants to compete and that's the way that we see especially with a lot of it with quarterback competitions today you just don't want to compete. You just think you're going to go somewhere else and, and be the guy. And that's just not how it works, at least a lot of the time. Yeah, and, and you have that couple, you know, the 2%. You look at the Heisman Trophy this year, you know, and Joe Burrow and and Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, all these top guys that were transfers. And I think if it's almost like they try to say in the NCAA case by case, if, if you know that this guy is a clear cut, just better than you, and you can go to another school, and be the man, and, and it helps you get to the NFL and make you money, I'm all for them transferring. If you're mature about it, and, you know, not just because you get benched on a, on a series and this guy's going to come in now, he's the start of the next game. Now you're just automatically going to transfer. If, if you just kind of look at the Kelly Bryant issue, you know, at, at Clemson, Kelly Bryant clearly knew that Trevor Lawrence was the better quarterback. Davo knew that Trevor Lawrence was the clearer, the better quarterback, and Instead of beating around the bush, Dabo gave him the opportunity to go somewhere else and and try to get to the NFL on his own. Because if you don't and you stick there and you don't let them transfer and they're stuck sitting out there behind the starter for three years and now they're trying to go to an NFL camp with no film, look at this year especially, with with the inability to have pro day Mm -hmm. and all this stuff look at how many people possibly got hurt not being able to get to the NFL because there was no pro day. There was no workout. There was so in my eyes, I think the transfer portal helps, but yet there's going to be them people who take advantage of it. But that's a lot on the NCAA. Like you said, that's another day, another podcast because, you know, they let this one guy transfer four to five different schools, but yet a guy who, wants to be closer to his grandparents, they just immediately say no. So I think the NCAA needs to fix their problem because it's tarnishing how we see the transfer portal because now it doesn't matter what you're doing other than Jalen Hurts. It doesn't matter what you do. If you transfer out, they're automatically thinking, oh, well, you just couldn't cut it. Now you're a crybaby and you're wanting to go to another school. I mean, they don't know what goes on inside that program. And if a coach is clearly telling you, hey, look, this is our guy. He's going to be our starter. It might be in your best interest. If you want to get to the NFL, you're going to have to go to another school and do it. And I think that's okay because why should we sit there and tell a guy that he has to stick it out when in the end he could go to a Georgia, South Carolina, or Arkansas and and be the man there and it makes him millions of dollars for his family. 
Yeah, and I see that side of it too. Uh, it's definitely not everybody that, that abuses the rule, but I do think that there are plenty, like Ricky Town. I don't know if, uh, Porter, you might have heard of him. Uh, he was a guy that transferred from USC, came to Arkansas. This was during the Bielema days, and things didn't work out there. I mean, he got buried on the depth chart, but I think he ended up playing at like four or five different colleges uh, at the end of the day. Now, there are plenty of that, – that's one of those special situations, like I mentioned just a second ago, where, you know, Trevor Lawrence, for instance, is just a once-in-a-generation type of talent. I definitely understand why Kelly Bryant did the things – did what he did. And there's other stories like that, too. Um, but kind of back to the original point of what Tyler was saying is that I think that people it, – it's just it, – it's they're cut from a different cloth than they used to be. And you said, like, talked about – people that, uh, that had their, their parents worked in factories and blue collar and stuff. And I think really that's, that's really been the difference too. It's uh, Jason Brown has from last chance you has said it multiple times. I don't really think it's that kids have changed. I think it's more so the parents have changed uh, for the way, because it all starts. The, another thing that, that Tyler just mentioned is it all starts at home. Um, and so that kind of goes back to that as well, but, but we're, uh, we're about out of time here. Uh, but before we get off, Tyler, I want you to kind of talk about, I know that we mentioned a little bit at the beginning of the show, but why don't you go ahead and tell us uh, your social media, net, like your Twitter handle and stuff, so that way people can follow you and talk about a little bit about what you do out in South Carolina. Yes, yeah, so you guys can uh, pretty much follow anything we do on Twitter, at MySportsCulture, uh, or you can follow us on Instagram, uh, Sports and Culture. Uh, anything, any type of breaking news, we always share on our Instagram or Twitter page. Uh, anything that Peck has going on, uh, we definitely share it. Of course, with you guys uh, at the Hall Talk, we share that as well. Just one big Arkansas family now. Uh, but, yeah, any type of news that you need to know, uh, the best place is definitely our Facebook page. It's uh, Sports and Culture. Check us out and see what we're going to be doing following local schools here in South Carolina and also the Arkansas area. And as I yeah, said, we can't forget to uh, forget to uh, – you know, shout out because your coverage of the SEC Women's Tournament. I mean, you really helped us out with, with that coverage and covering the Ladybacks during the – and I'll, kind of before we go, I mean, just, just real quick, talk about how that process was. I mean, you being on the front lines and covering the Ladybacks basketball team, how did all that unfold for you, you know, with all this COVID stuff and there's, there's a tournament and then, you know, now there's not a tournament and now there's not an NCAA tournament. I mean, how did that – all unfold with you being right there on the front lines and and how was that experience at the SEC women's tournament you know getting to sit right next to Don Staley and and covering the Ladybacks as well yeah well I mean the first go around last year was unbelievable um that's when I fell in love with the uh, Lady Razorback team because they played so hard and I love teams like that so I started doing more and more blogs on them specifically and on other team and we would just get a, a ton of attention from the Arkansas area. And, you know, of course, that's how I met Peck. Then this year around, we were more uh, familiar with the team and, and couldn't wait for them to come back here in Greenville. So we followed them again, of course, with the uh, South Carolina team as well, trying to get more coverage of women's sports. And it was great. And we couldn't wait because I believe the Elite Eight was coming back to Greenville. And then COVID happened and, and pretty much shut us down for a while. So we reached out to all our sponsors, just told them to hold sponsorship money. And what I've been doing on the background is trying to interview our local athletes, get them on our websites, mysportsculture.com, and 
just get as much content as possible out for the people that is in dire need of sports right now. Yeah, and you guys, I know that you started it there in Greenville, and, you, and of course, Porter is in Arkansas, handles your stuff here, and you also recently expanded into Dallas, right? Yes, that is correct. Um, because of the connection with the Dallas Cowboys, we just uh, launched Sports Culture Dallas about two and a half months ago. So, cool. The season continues where we can cover Dallas all year this time. Yeah, and like I said, I, I can't recommend it enough. I've, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I've known Tyler, I guess, about a little under a year now, and I still have yet to see him be wrong. So, uh, very, very consistent, and and also, like I said. It's very it's stuff that you might not see yet. Uh, then he's not going to put it out there if, if it's not correct. So uh, make sure that you check that out on Facebook and Twitter. For us here at the Hog Talk, that'll do it for episode number 86. For Tyler Butler, Porter Hayes, my name's Kyle Sutherland. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. All right. I'm going to turn the recording. All right. Let me stop the recording. All right. Sweet. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.